I think, you, you know, you don't have to live very long before, uh, as you grow older, you realize that life can be very overwhelming to the point where you go, what do I do? And we're in a series where we're talking about the Psalms and how some of the psalmists dealt with the, when life gets overwhelming. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the things I, that I think that is helpful when, you're, when you get overwhelmed with life is that you get a new perspective. That you kind of try to step back and put things in perspective. And, and so I came across the, a quote that maybe will help you. So here, here's the quote. Hundreds of years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be a different, may be different because I did something so bafflingly crazy that in the, my ruins become a tourist attraction for many people. Let me read that again because that didn't go well. Hundreds of years from now, it will not matter when my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, the kind of car I drove, but the world may be different because I did something that was so bafflingly crazy that my ruins become a tourist attraction. It's supposed to be a joke. Okay. So we'll do something different. Thank you for all those applauses. Those, oh, he's bombing here. What do we do? <laughs> it happens, right? Hey, you got to take a risk if there's going to be a reward, right? Well, look, the question is, what steps can we take when we are overwhelmed with life? That's really where we want to go this weekend. Uh, when we're overwhelmed with life, what do we do? And so I want to look at Psalm 102. Psalm 102 has a lot to say about what to do when you're overwhelmed. In fact, I think in some of your Bibles you'll see the title, The Psalmist is Overwhelmed. And you read it, you go, yeah, he kind of is overwhelmed. That's kind of what's going on with him. Uh, so when you're overwhelmed, the first thing you need to do is you need to cry out to God. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but let me read the first nine verses of Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird on a roof. All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. So you can see this is a very troubled person. They're struggling. They're, they're struggling in, in a number of ways. Physically, notice, physically, my bones are like glowing embers. Verse 3. Now, bones are often viewed as the seed of a, of a person's physical strength. And he's basically, physically, I'm exhausted. You've been there before, haven't you? But not only is he physically exhausted, but he's emotionally drained. My heart is, is, is blighted and withered like uh, grass. 
He's heartbroken. That's what he's saying. He's saying his heart is broken. Uh, which, it, by the way, have you noticed that your emotions affect your physical and your physical affects your emotions and they go back and forth? And you go, yep, I've noticed that in others around me. You probably, they've noticed it in you too, right? Because it is. And notice what it says. Um, it got to the point where he forgot to eat. In verse 9 it says, For, for I eat ashes as my food and I mingle my drink with tears. He, he's describing that, that I forget to drink and I forget to eat and I'm just a mess. I'm an absolute mess. But not only that is he's relationally struggling. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like nobody cares for you? This is where this man is at. Notice, this, he's alone. He says, I'm like a desert owl. I'm like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake and I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Now, owls are nocturnal creatures, meaning they come out at night. And uh, the, the, idea there, the idea there is that he's laying awake at night. He, he is not able to sleep. He's alone at, at night, all by himself in the quiet of the night. The owl and the bird speak of loneliness and alienation. So he's physically, emotionally, and, and relationally. But not, you know, you say, well, it couldn't get any worse, could it? Yeah, it could. Because he's got enemies. Verse 8. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me. They use my name as a curse. He has no one in his corner. He's alone. He's physically drained. He's emotionally struggling. People are mocking his name. His enemies taunt him and, and use his name as a curse. I mean, you, 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 so, so, so you see all of these factors combined in, in a vicious circle, feeding off one another. The end result, the psalm is, is overwhelmed and they cry out to God. Now, I just want to stop and just say this for a moment. Sometimes you feel like you can't be honest with God. You can't really tell God what you're feeling what you're struggling with. That's what the Psalms are about. That's what this Psalm is about. This Psalm is, this Psalm is all about the Psalmist expressing how he's feeling and how he's struggling. That, that's such an important part of the Christian life. You know, I know that we have to put a face on many times when we're dealing with other people. We have to kind of keep our emotional distance with people and stuff like that. But with God, we can let it all out. We can share our anger, our frustration, our fears, our loneliness, our anger, all those things. Speak to God about those things. It's really, really important to express those emotions. And that's why the Psalms are so rich, because the writers and the, the psalmists are very clear about how they're feeling and what's going on. I mean, this is pretty, pretty clear. He's expressing his feelings and his emotions. So when you're overwhelmed with life, cry out to God. He will help you. Now, when I say he may help you, it doesn't mean that he's going to resolve every little problem and every little tension in your life. That's probably not going to happen. But cry out to him anyways because he will help you. Here's the second thing. When you're overwhelmed, reframe your thinking. Reframe your thinking. Notice what he says here, and it's very interesting. This is verse 25. Verse 25. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like clothing. 
you will change them and they, they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. So the psalmist really had to regain his eternal perspective. He needed to know that God was on his throne. He needed to know that though he was going through a difficult time and though it felt like he was all alone, he really wasn't all alone, that God had a plan and God had a purpose. The psalmist had to regain that. He's pointing to a number of powerful attributes of God. And I want to just talk about two of them here. The first one is he's talking about God's creative power and might. Notice what he says in verse 25. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. In other words, what he's saying here is, God, you created the heavens. You created the earth. They're under your control. The whole universe as we know it, all the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, they're all under your control. You created them, but you don't just create them. You sustain them. Now, notice I came across this quote by Philip Yancey. And he's a Christian writer, and he's, he wrote this, and I thought it was very telling, and, and it helps us in, in a way. He says this, If the Milky Way galaxy were the size of an entire continent of, the, of North America, our solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Even now, Two Voyager spacecraft are hurling towards the edge of the solar system at a rate of 100,000 miles per hour. For almost three decades, they have been speeding away from the Earth, approaching a distance of 9 billion miles. When engineers beam a command to that space, to those spacecraft, to the spacecraft at the speed of light, it takes 13 hours to arrive. Yet this vast neighborhood of our sun, in truth, the size of a coffee cup, fits along with several hundred billion other stars and their minions in the Milky Way. One of perhaps a hundred billion such galaxies in the universe. To send a light message to the edge of that universe would take 15 billion years. You know what that tells me? That's big. <laughs> That's really big. And what, what the writer, the psalmist is saying is, God created that. And he created this earth. And he created us. And he has a plan and he has a purpose. He's all powerful. He created it and he sustains it. As you read the New Testament, uh, Paul says that if, if Christ didn't sustain the universe, the universe would crumble. So that's the first thing we see his power. So the, the psalmist, when you're struggling, step back and, and get a different perspective. Just understand that God is, is over the universe, but he's also in control of your life, what's going on in your life. Secondly, he's eternal, his eternality. Notice he says this, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and, all, and your years will never end. Have you come to the place in your life where you realize that life is fragile? It's short. It's like a vapor. You will. Hopefully, 
that will help you to lead, to think of God's eternal nature. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to know that God has no beginning and no end? God was there at the beginning of whatever we think was the beginning. He was there. He created the heavens and the earth. And basically what the psalmist says is the heavens and the earth that God created and all the galaxies that we just talked about, billions and billions of stars, one day they'll wear out like a garment. But not God. God will still be there. They will perish, but God won't. They won't last, but God will. One day the stars will stop shining, but God will remain. The mountains will fail, the seas will drain, but God will still be there. The stars and the mountains will wear out, but uh, your servants will live in your presence forever. He is permanently committed to his servants, and they last forever, verses 28, 25 through 28. Psalm 90, verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were born... Or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. God is eternal. Well, how do, what difference does it make? How, if we grasp the eternality of God, what difference does it make in our lives? Where does the rubber meet the road? What, so what? You say, well, that's theologically interesting. It's kind of hard to wrap my brain around, but so what? Well, if God is above and beyond time, then that has implications for us. How are we to understand this eternality of God? Because it is hard to wrap your brain around, isn't it? I mean, when you think about, because we're bound to time, and we, ha- we think of a beginning and an end and a middle, and we think of the past and the present and the future, and, and uh, it's hard for us to think of God as thinking that the past, present, and future are right now for God. That he's not bound to the past or the present or the future, right? So let me give you an illustration. So let's just say that there's a mountain, okay? And at the base of the mountain, there's a flowing river with, you know, a lot of little crooks around it. It goes all the way around the mountain, right? And there's boats on this, uh, this river, and the boats on this river, there's a, there's a lot of boats around this river, and, and they, the river goes around, it, it, uh, around the mountain, it kind of comes in and around the mountain and, you know, goes out and there's these boats, but they, 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 there's this huge mountain, but they can see the top of the mountain. And the boats upstream represents the past. The boats downstream represent the future. And so every boat can look up and see the top of the mountain. They can see the peak of the mountain the summit, from their position on the river. And, you know, they're at a different position in time, right? Because you have the past, you have the present, and you have the future, so to speak. But as they all look up, they can all see the summit of the mountain. But they can't see the other boats around them. I mean, they can see the boats that are fairly close. And, I mean, think about it. We we have, still have memories, right, of people who lived 10, 15 years ago. We probably don't have a lot of memories about people who lived 300 years ago. We obviously don't have any memory of people who lived 300 years from now. So we're a boat, right? And so we can look back a little bit and see, but we can't really see too much forward. 
See, there's only a person, but there's a person at the top of the mountain who's able to see both, all the boats at the same time, and they're all equal distance from him, and that's God. So God can look down from the mountain, see the past, the present, and the future, right now. It's kind of how it works. And from his perspective, everything that has and will happen to those boats is right now with God. There is only now with God. There is no past. There is no future. And that's how it is with God. Everything in the universe is now to him. It's all present to him. He's not bound to time like us. And that's how you kind of think about the eternality of God. So when God is on the mountain and, and we look up and we see God in the mountain, we, it looks as though you know it's us and God, but God is looking down and seeing all the different periods of time as now. Well, what are the implications of an eternal God? What difference does it make? Well, first off, you have a forgiveness that you can count on. Have you ever had anybody who, said, who promises you something or gives your word, their word to something and then fails to come through and you really were counting on it? It may be money to buy something. It may be to help you with something. And they promise, I'll be there. I'll help you. I'll, and they, they don't show up and they, they don't come through. And it may be that they just forgot. It, it, it could be. It could be that they're just, they, they, they weren't able to be there. There were circumstances beyond their control. And I want you to know that you will always be able to count on God's forgiveness. Some people think, well, Pastor, I can't forgive myself. After all, if I were to tell you some of the things I've done in my past, you would think differently. In fact, I haven't even told my spouse. I haven't even told my kids. If my kids knew that, they would, they would look at me different. But remember, God is eternal. He not only knows all that you've done in the past and all that you're doing right now, but he knows everything you're going to do in the future. And guess what? He still forgives you. So if you can't forgive yourself, that's on you. It's not on God. Because his love isn't based upon your performance anyways. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. So I want you to see that if you're, you're here this weekend, whether you're at the Kennedy campus or at the Roshik campus or watching online, and you say, I just don't believe God can forgive me. And if he, I just want you to understand that God knows every... By the way, he doesn't just know everything you've done in the past and everything you're doing now. Whatever you might be hiding is not hidden from God. And what you will do in the future, he knows that. And he still forgives you. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just say, well, this is going to take care of the sins in the past, but then you're on your own in the future. No, it's the past, present, and future sins. And not only that, he knows your every thought. Because you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. He knows why. You could do something nice for somebody, but you're really not doing something nice for them. Or, you know, so he knows exactly your motives for all those things. And he still forgives you. So that's one application of the eternality of God. Let me give you one more. Maybe you're here and you go, well, Pastor, um, I messed up in my life. And I just don't believe God still has a plan for my life. I just feel like I'm on plan B or C or possibly D now. And I don't think God can do anything with me. You know, I want to just tell you, God doesn't have a plan B. God doesn't need a plan B. 
God can take all the garbage in your life, all the poor choices in your life, and yes, you still will suffer and you'll still struggle, but he can turn those things around and do his glorious work in making you into his masterpiece, even in spite of you. That's mind-boggling to me, but it's true. There's a passage, we don't have time to go there, there's a passage in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is talking to the people and he says something that's so, when you, if you stop to think, you, you probably would just, if you're reading through the Bible, you'd probably just read through it and say, okay, there it is. But if you stop and thought about what he, you know, what was said there, you would go, whoa, hold on, time out. Peter, essentially what he says there is he says, God handed over Jesus, his son, to be crucified. In other words, it was God's plan that Jesus would die. And you read the New Testament, and it wasn't just God's plan. It was the Trinity, the plan of the Trinity, you know, God the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit working together. And it was an eternal plan before the foundation of the world, okay, before man had sinned, again, the mountain and the time, eternality of God, okay? But that happened before, and he says, so he says, and God had a plan that Jesus would die by cruel Roman, and you, he basically says, and you carried out the plan. Do you know what? There was nobody, as I read the scripture, there was nobody that was in the process of rejecting Jesus and crucifying Jesus and mocking Jesus and spitting at him and beating him. There was nobody there that says, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I don't want to do They were absolutely doing it, and God was turning their evil things around for his perfect plan for our salvation. That's what Peter says. So God's sovereign plan was to take the evil deeds of men and turn them around for good for us. He can do the same thing in your life. He is doing the same thing in your life. So there is no plan B. God doesn't need it. God has a plan A. And he's not done with you. As long as you you have a pulse, as long as you have a breath, God isn't done with you. The eternality of God and the power of God says, I have a plan. You're making you into my masterpiece if you'll let me. All right. So God is going to love you even after the stars fall from the sky. That's essentially what he says in the psalm. You see, the writer is, is overwhelmed. He physically, emotionally, he, 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 socially, he's alone. He's got enemies all around him. And, and, and he gets to the place where he goes, I just don't know what to do. And, and then he steps back and he starts reflecting on the eternality of God, the power of God. And he begins to say, and, he, and the last lines are very interesting. He says, and when the stars fall out of the sky, you'll still love your servant. Here's the third thing we find, and we don't find this in the psalm, but we find it in the New Testament. When you're outnumbered, cry out, or overwhelmed, cry out to Jesus. When you're overwhelmed, cry out to Jesus. So I want you to jump over to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and I want to read a couple of verses, verses 10 through 12. In the beginning, Lord... You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. You go, man, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Well, you heard it in Psalm 102. 
He's quoting Psalm 102. In fact, it's, as you look at the Greek, I don't want to go into it, but as you look at one of the translations of the Old Testament, it's word for word, virtually word for word. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's pretty significant. Now, stick with me here because this is really mind-boggling because reading Psalm 102, we say, okay, the psalmist is going through a difficult time and he steps back and he reflects on the eternality of God and he, he comes to a place where he realizes the servants of God, though the stars from the sky, the servants of God will still be preserved. So this is the end for me. There's still hope. There's light. There's hope. But then the, then the writer of Hebrews comes in and says, he quotes this verse. And by the way, this is uh, th- in chapter 1 of Hebrews, there's seven other Old Testament passages that the writer of Hebrews quotes. And every one of these passages, what he does is he attributes these words to Jesus. Now, what does that mean? What, he's, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, in, in our case, the Psalm 102, we said, who is this person? Who is this one who's struggling? Who is this one who's down and, and struggling and, and discouraged? Uh, and the answer is, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is a type, there's an analogy, there's a, a pattern of another one who would come. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, the person that wrote these words in Psalm 102 is really a type of Jesus Christ. The person in Psalm 102 who is suffering is pointing forward to another person who would suffer, the Messiah, to Jesus, which is quite stunning. The psalm, notice the words, listen to the words of the psalmist. This is verse 8. All day long my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. I think that happened to Jesus. Now we can see the author of Hebrews is, is applying the words of the psalmist to that, uh, to, to Jesus and his suffering on the cross. His name was a curse. He was surrounded and taunted by his enemies. His name was a curse word. And I'm reminded of what Paul says in Galatians, where Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The tree is a euphemism for the cross. Because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, he would take our place. And we who place our faith in him will live forever. We stand in his righteousness. We stand on his shoulders. We, we look to him. So when we read Psalm 102, we think of Jesus who, was he emotionally drained? Was he physically, was he alone? Yeah, absolutely. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I heard a sad story about uh, two boys, two brothers. They were playing in the sandbanks of a local river. And one boy was, you know, they're playing chase. One boy was running up uh, again to you know, catch the other boy, and they ran up this lar- large mound of sand that really hadn't had time to uh, get solid, and it wasn't really solid. And so their weight caused them to to quickly sink into the sand. And so supper time came, and the boys never showed up. 
So the parents obviously were concerned. They gathered neighbors together. They formed a search party, and they went looking for the young boys. And they looked all over, and they finally found the, young, the younger brother, and he was, he was buried. He was buried to, um, to his neck, and he was unconscious. His head and shoulders sticking out, and he's in the sand, and he's unconscious. So they began to, to dig him out, and he finally got down to his waist, and he woke up. He, he basically was awakened by all the rustling around him. And the searchers said, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. Standing on his shoulders. I want to ask you a question. Whose shoulders are you standing on? There is a one who went to a place, and you read about it in Psalm 102, physically, emotionally, socially, enemies all around him, and he did it for you. You can either stand on your own or you can stand on your shoulders. There's only two places you can stand. Are you standing on Jesus or are you trying to make it without him? I don't know where you're at this weekend. But I know that life can get overwhelmed. You can get overwhelmed with life because life is hard. But remember that God is powerful, he's eternal, and he's loving. And, and, and the psalmist says that even though I'm struggling, even though I, 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 I just I don't know what I'm going to do, I really I step back and I see the eternality and the power of God. And I realize that even after the stars fall from the sky, he will still love me. And then we, we have more information than the psalmist because the writer says, that was Jesus. That was Jesus' suffering for you, for me. He was the one who we stand on his shoulders. We take, stand on his righteousness. We stand on his sacrifice. And we remember that Jesus was the one who gave his life. It was Jesus who was overwhelmed for us. So when you're overwhelmed, when you're overwhelmed, don't be overwhelmed with life. Be overwhelmed with the love of Jesus for you. Because when you begin to think of how much you are loved by him, and you really begin to take that, and that's why, that's why Paul says, I pray that you might understand the height and the depth and the width and he gives us the dimensions of the love of Christ for you. I pray that you'll be overwhelmed with his love. Because when you're overwhelmed with his love, life takes on a different perspective. Stand with me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because without your help and without your Holy Spirit, we can't do this. This is not something we try harder at or manufacture. It is only as we reflect upon the cross and reflect upon the love of Christ that we can find hope during those dark days. I pray for those, Father, in, that are just struggling today. They're overwhelmed with life for a number of reasons. Give them a different perspective. Help them to see Jesus who came to earth and was overwhelmed for them. 
Help us to stand on his shoulders to find our righteousness, not in ourselves, but in him. And may we be overwhelmed by his love for us. And thank you, Father, that your love will never change for us. There's nothing that we could do in the past, in the present, or the future that will cause you to say, I reject you, because you already know it. Thank you that when the stars fall out of the sky, you will still love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.